Welcome to another episode of Inside the Digital Health and Sales Locker Room. I'm your host, Josh Pappas. Episode 18 features Zane and Sarah. Both are really experienced in the technology space and both have unique backgrounds. Zane, PharmD, Sarah, MD, and both are successful on the product side of technology. Make sure to listen as we dig into all of the different topics around clinician, technology, and enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah and Zane. I'm going to start with you, Sarah. Go ahead and introduce yourself. And uh, we do a little bit of an origin story to start off here. So I'm super interested to start off with just your bio, but um, kind of what got you into healthcare and what started you down a clinical path to start. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so yeah, I think like as a young kid, I was always super interested in physics. Um, just loved kind of learning about how the world worked and um quickly kind of also got super interested in biology. And so I think for me, like those two subjects always kind of spoke to me. I really was incredibly interested in like how the human body worked. Um, and also it was just like, still am generally like a very social person that enjoys working with people. So I think it was kind of simple for me. I was just like, Oh, that makes sense. I'll be pre-med. Um, and so, you know, just like as I was going through college, um, was pre-med, but stumbled across a few different courses that were about like biotech and innovations in medicine. So I feel like pretty early on, I was quite interested in, um, innovation in medicine. Um, and that's kind of what like led me to med school and then to start thinking about an alternate path. Not great. And I'm sure we're going to dig into some of that uh, later, but uh, same way for you, Zane, what kind of got you down the clinical path and introduce yourself and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, so yeah, my name is Zane Sayed. I am a pharmacist by training and now I'm a product manager at Amerisource, but what got me into clinical medicine was because I had no choice. Um, being a South Asian descent, you have two options, engineering or healthcare. <laughs> um, I'm not, I'm okay at math, but, uh, Calculus really broke me in in college, so that was not going to happen. Um, yeah, so I, I picked um, – actually, funny enough, when I was younger, I didn't want to go into healthcare at all. The only times I ever was exposed to healthcare was around really sad things, you know, watching my grandparents pass away, things like that. So I was like, I'm never going to work in a hospital, anything like that. But as I got older and got, you know, just experienced more things, I realized that, you know, it's more than just death. It's, you know, we're saving people. Uh, we're helping people, you know, survive and live a better life. And that's kind of what drew me into healthcare. The reason why I picked pharmacy was because I used to joke with people. I was pre-life during college. I knew I wanted to go into healthcare, but I didn't really know exactly where. Um, and during my sophomore and junior year, my dad sat me down. He's like, all right, Zen, you need to figure out your life. Like, what are you going into? Um, and I picked pharmacy mainly because uh, I wanted a good work-life balance. My dad actually was a pharmacist back in the Middle East. And my cousin was a pharmacist. So I kind of had a background about what the job entailed and what it was about. And um, I really loved like cell bio, pharmacology, things like those kind of topics. So I was like, all right, let's pick this. It's going to be a good career, you know. Um, so yeah, that's kind of why I, I, I wish I had like a really powerful story. But yeah, that's kind of how I ended up here. <laughs> No, and I'm sure there's many, many out there that, that are the same. So um, went down the clinical path. And so I'd love to start with you, Sarah, um, you know, and kind of describe um, as you as you transitioned and, um, you know, when you're able to make that jump over to yeah. kind of the tech and product side. Yeah, um, oddly enough, like I actually, even though I like was fairly certain I wanted to practice clinical medicine before medical school, I like, as I was explaining before, like had this interest in innovation. So I actually spent some time working in digital health before medical school. So like, I feel like I didn't really have like a heart. I absolutely like went through clinical training at NYU, like getting my MD and then transitioned into product. But like, I kind of knew the whole time that I wanted to be in product because I had had these previous experiences. Um, so I spent a lot of my medical school career thinking about like on my rotations thinking about different products, um, thinking about like, how would we make this process more efficient? Um, and by the time that I, I, I also wanted to practice clinical medicine. So I spent like the entire time kind of 
grappling with that, trying to figure out like, how do I build this hybrid life? Can I pursue a specialty where I can do like shift work so I can also be an entrepreneur? Um, and so it was really hard for me to decide not to do medicine because I really liked patient care. I really liked working with physicians, but um, I kind of went through interviews for um, emergency medicine, which I really loved. Um, and then got to the end of it and just realized like, I really want to be like primarily building products. And so, um, that's when I decided to just go like full time into a uh, product management and not kind of wear both hats. No, it's super interesting. And before I get to you, Zane, I'm, I'm, I'm interested, Sarah, was you have to probably have been an outlier, right? Where a lot of people yeah. kind of, you know, going down that path or maybe, you know, describe a yeah. normal, you know, setup of, of, of being able <laughs> to do that, uh, in med school. Yeah. Yeah, definitely not at that time. It's actually funny. I feel like in the past five years, that's changed drastically, though. Even when I was like graduating from medical school, there were these kind of groups being formed of um, medical students in New York that have are coming in with previous experience in tech. Um, but yeah, I think like the way that I navigated that was I found mentor. Like I spent a lot of time with attendings at NYU who we're doing research in like medical education innovation using like VR mixed reality to study anatomy. Um, and so I did a lot of like of my research time and like free time uh, working with those attendings as mentors um, and kind of just like New York was just a really great place to be because I got to spend time like in the ecosystem, going to events, um, just kind of networking. Um, so I kind of like, made my, I feel like I, I had a kind of business school-esque experience in, in medical school of just trying to like use the time to meet a lot of people. Um, while also like was very interested in clinical and kind of doing my clinical studies at the same time. It was definitely busy. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> I could, yeah. I could only imagine. Uh, yeah. Zane, what about, what, what about your kind of journey, um, to, uh, more, more of the tech side? Yeah, no, first of all, that's amazing, Sarah. Like, oh, wow. Um, yeah, my, my journey to the tech side was, so I've always loved tech in general. Just, I'm like me and my cousin were like the IT folks for our whole family. Like just like random things like that. Right. I'd build my own computers, use Linux as my primary, um, operating system, things like that. But I never really thought this sounds sound really, really dumb, but I never thought that healthcare and tech together could be an op, like a thing like at all. Like I thought you had to be one or the other, um, until like a couple of years after I graduated school, after my residency, I was like you know, there's, there was like these problems that were happening and I'm like, why aren't we fixing it? I tried to look for solutions. There were nothing out there. So I was like, okay, let me see if I can build something. Right. So found a co-founder, we were building something. Unfortunately, we didn't, we never actually left the pre-seed round, but I was doing it part-time as I was working. Uh, but I found that this love for this, this intersection where tech and healthcare meet, because in the first time in my career, I really felt like I was actively solving for a problem rather than just dealing with the problem. And that to me never like left me. So after my, after our, my startup like failed, um, I just could never shake that feeling. I was like, man, I really want to get that. But at the time I just had other things going on. I was like, okay, let me just try to be the best, you know, oncology pharmacist I can be. And then one day, <laughs> one, one day in 2019, one of my students uh, asked me, he's like, he's in, you have an amazing job, which I did. I loved it. I'm not going to say anything against it. Um, it was amazing. He's like, you and you have awesome hours. You, you do your oncology, this and that. Like I could see myself doing this for the rest of my life. Could you see yourself doing this for the rest of your life? And I kid you not, I had never thought about it until then. Like, can I really be doing this for the rest of my life? And I couldn't say yes. And that to me, like threw me into like this existential crisis because, you know, I just spent a whole, more, more than half my life pursuing this career, more money than I've ever seen in my life, you know, paying for this career, and I don't think I can do this for the rest of my life. So I was like trying to figure out, okay, when was I the happiest? You know, when, what, what made me happy in my career? And it always pointed me back to my startup where I was working part-time, not getting paid at all. Uh, but I just loved it. I just loved that drive to solve problems and really try to help at scale. And that was like the big thing with tech that gets me is people ask me like, hey, why do you like tech so much? It's the ability to help at scale. I'm not bound by my my schedule. I'm not bound by 
uh, these arbitrary rules that a hospital or a clinic puts in place that have nothing to do with anything, right? Um, and that to me is what drives me. But so from there, I kind of just kept networking, talking to people, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I didn't really know what product management was. I ended up finding out that I was a product manager. I just thought that I was doing like four different jobs. I come to find out it's like one job kind of jammed <laughs> into one. And um, I fell in love with it. The more people I talked to about about product management, I was like, this is for me. So then I started like honing into product management. And honestly, I got really lucky, uh, found some amazing people that really drug me through <laughs> the finish line. And honestly, I owe it all to them. But yeah, so that's how I kind of, and then, yeah, now I'm a product manager at Amerisource and I really love what I do. Yeah, really great. Uh, thanks for sharing. I know we're going to dig in a little bit deeper. Um, so we're going to run through some segments here. Um, the first one is going to be um, a little bit before we dig in a little bit more on the clinical and tech side of things. So, um, you know, obviously I've been kind of in the intersection on the sales side of healthcare and, 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 um, and tech. Um, so wanted to start, we do a top and bottom 10, um, but really it's focused uh, for you guys. And I'll start with you this time, actually, Zane. Um, when you think about a best and worst, either you know story of collaborating with sales on your tech side, or maybe being kind of impact of a vendor in sales on your uh, healthcare side, whichever way you want to take it. Yeah, I mean, in terms of let's start with the good. Uh, so, like impact of sales, like we had. Um, so, for those who don't know, like um, there's certain chemotherapy called Five uh, FU that a patient can go home with a pump, and we had this sales guy that was amazing. Like he would be on top of our uh, supplies and everything. Like we never had any issues. Uh, I've had I've dealt with salespeople before. And that was really the first sales guy, um, because when you work in healthcare, you're taught sales bad. Don't talk to sales. Don't talk to this. Don't talk to that. You can't accept anything above $20, right? That's all we're like uh, hammered into us, right? Anyone called us like, oh, you know, you have to talk to our manager. But he was like the first guy I talked to that you could tell that he cared about what he did, right? Um, and he, anything we needed, I'd email him. He'd be right then and there. And that to me, like, I think really changed my view on salespeople and then also meeting people like yourself and then all that. Like, I found that sales isn't, doesn't have to be sleazy, right? I think we in school were taught like, oh, all these sales reps and all them are just trying to get money out of you. And I think that's a disservice to it because I think that we miss out on great connections and great people that can really, truly help us when we really need it. Because you guys can, salespeople can do things inside the company that we can't, might take us weeks, but they can get it done in a day. And that's what I found out with that guy. And then in no, terms of, really, it's really powerful. Oh, yeah, sorry. And then in terms of, um, I don't really, I don't, I, I don't really have any bad stories with salespeople outside, outside, in healthcare, because like I said, I didn't really deal with too many of them. I mean, I, a bunch outside of healthcare, like car dealerships and things like that. But I really, honestly, I've I've been very lucky to have had really good interactions uh, with the majority of people I've had uh, that have that have approached me that were in sales. Now, in your tech role, do you do you interact at all, kind of with with the sales team, or are you kind of focused? Um, you know, the, I know different organizations, you know, different startups work, but do you kind of have any of that cross interaction now in your tech role? Uh, not yet. I'm hoping to um, get some interaction. As So the products that I'm working on are kind of being built. Uh, we're like trying to get the MVPs out. So um, I would like to get more interaction with the sales team. Um, and I think that it'll happen eventually. But I started in January. So I'm trying to get my bearings still. So I'm hoping that because I think that it's really important. One thing that I mean, I'm sure Sarah can speak to it way better than I can. But, you know, I think sales and marketing and it's, it's very much part of product as well. Like you can build the greatest product of all time. But if you don't have like a launch, like you, you don't have any like way to sell to people or how you're going to sell to people, who your personas are, who you're going to sell to, you might as well just be in a black hole. Like no one's going to see it. No one's going to care. Right. So um, I think it's really important for product people to really engage with sales teams and marketing teams. Yes, Sarah, and over to you, kind of your, your best or worst, either in your clinical or in, in, in your current role. Yeah. No, I guess for Zane, I totally agree with you. Um, I think like, just to comment there, often, especially if like you're selling into a health system, hospital system, it's really hard to get access to those customers and your potential users and sales can be such a great way to like get that direct kind of raw customer feedback. Um, because they have these often have these kind of informal um, conversations. So anyway, so the, but yeah, I would say um, best experience. I've had a number of experiences with um, 
like I'll, I'll call them like co-development partners um, while I've been at a startup where um, the partner has a lot of experience, like a lot of experience working with the startup, first of all. And um, I think like the like parallels between the good experiences all have to do with um, really like aligning expectations and also being able to align on like the appropriate success metrics at different stages of the product or of the project. So like, for example, um, I've worked with a partner that like really understood that like when you're a co-development partner, some of the first metrics you're going to get are going to be around engagement and satisfaction. Whereas as you go further out, the metrics will be more around driving down cost and um, improving patient outcomes. So I think like it's not really one experience, but like one or two experiences where we were kind of able to set those expectations together um, or what stand out in my mind is, is the best. No, I really um, like that because I, I, I think, I think sometimes in the race to ROI and all this money or readmission, what you just described, um, you know, is, is important to know, you know, to build the product correctly, but then also too, to set the expectations on the other side, right? Cause engagement is the bridge to all those, you know, fun metrics. Right. But a lot of times, you know, sometimes we're on the other side of the table. So I, re I really like the way you, you outlined it there. So what about maybe the, yeah. the, the, the not so good, uh, experience? Yeah. Um, I think I'll, pull on like vendor experiences here. Um, I think like I've been at a few companies where we were scaling and, you know, we were pretty low on resources. So we, um, there was kind of a, a, a drive to just be able to ship a lot of products quickly and um, had a few experiences just where like we quickly had to work with some vendors that didn't have um, development vendors that didn't have a ton of like healthcare context and were also not like cross time zone stuff like that. So um, that's just really it's just really hard to build a quality product when there isn't that like constant iteration and ability to communicate um, easily. Um, and so yeah, that was just like really really challenging as a product manager to be able to build a high quality product um, working in kind of a like asynchronous way without a ton of context. Yeah. And, and it's so important because as you start to, whether you dig in, but particularly at a startup, right, you have the, even in healthcare, you have the external product that you're selling to the health system. But then when you look under the hood, right, and you guys know far better than me, you know, there's a lot of even selling that goes on and collaboration that goes on to accelerate, you know, technologies within the product, mm. right? And making some of those foundational decisions um, can be nerve wracking because I'll never forget where I was when I first started with a specific tech startup. And um, you know, our product, I was at Optimize Health, built an RPM platform. And our tech guy sat me down in Texas over Dallas barbecue. And he said, Josh, the simplistic way is, you know, once you kind of build the house of the software, you got to build upon the house, right? You can't just, you know, make some of these changes, right? And so it was such a small, simplistic conversation, but it served me well to just understand, hey, if I want to change, it's not as easy as, you know, add X, Y, and Z, right? It's mm. normally, you know, add X, Y, Z, or sometimes you can't do certain things. So uh, fortunate for there. Um, so switching gears a little bit, we do MJ versus LeBron debate. So here, less debate, just uh, kind of you know, touching on, you know, maybe the differences and uh, some of the experiences uh, between clinical and tech, right? So um, I'll start with you, Sarah. You know, from a from a question perspective, you know, what are maybe you know some stories or skills or experiences that you kind of bring to your day to day um, that you learn from a clinical that you kind of now do every day on your tech side? Yeah. Um... I mean, I think that like prioritization is so key, both in clinical, like practicing clinical medicine, especially like EM, which is what I was going to go into. Um, and just being able to like consume lots and lots of information and like go through lots of details, like, I don't know, user feedback, for example, on the tech side and being able to like pull out the nuggets that are actually relevant, um, you know, and are actually like a real user problem rather than just, um, I don't know, something that's more irrelevant. So I would say like prioritization for sure is something that like I learned to do in clinical in a different way, but I use every day 
um, in uh, product management. Um, no, I really like that. And then I would, yeah, yeah. And then I would say, like, what do I use? I mean, because, like, I've kind of chosen to, like, work on highly clinical products. I mean, I use my medical knowledge every day. Like whenever, whatever new company I'm working at, like if there's a disease area and a patient journey, like, yeah, of course I'm going to have to go and brush up and read up to date, but like I'm able to kind of get up to speed very quickly. And then also able to kind of use the clinical background to, as you were saying, kind of like form trust between different, um, factions in the sounds very antagonistic, different <laughs> parts of the company. Um, and, and just kind of help drive clarity in that way. No, I think the, particularly building clinical products, right. Um, you know, when you're collaborating and especially when you're collaborating with people outside of tech, right. It's, it becomes you know, almost imperative to at least have, you know, somebody on the team with that clinical expertise. Uh, what about you, Zane, any kind of, you know, skills, um, or, or experiences that you've kind of brought through with uh, some of your tech side of things? Yeah, no, for sure. But I do want to say MJ over LeBron. It's not even a contest, but um, <laughs> just wanted to put that on the record. Um, no, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, what Sarah said, you know, prioritization is number one thing in product management in tech in general. Uh, but I think also thinking on your feet, I think people think that clinicians are very like linear in their thought process. But in reality, we are not necessarily outside of the box thinkers, but we need to be able to adapt to any situation. Like, you know, when you're working in the ED, you're walking into a patient's room, you have no idea what the hell you're going to get into yourself into, right? With what the family is, who the family is, how many people are there, you know, and you're, you're, you're put into a lot of such situ stressful situations that you have no idea what the outcome is going to be in terms of like the interaction. I'm not saying like, you know, ho hopefully, you know, the outcome will be good, but you know, the actual interaction. And I think that's really important. That's really served me really well in terms of like, just in general in the tech space too, because you're dealing, especially in product, you're dealing with so many different, um, stakeholders, right? You're dealing with dev teams, you're dealing with UI UX people, you're dealing with management, you're dealing with all these, uh, people and they're all trying to drag you into not shouldn't say word track, but they're all like pulling you in a direction. Right. But you have to be the one in the center saying, no, this is, this is the way it's supposed to go. And that's something that you are constantly doing in the clinical setting. People are always calling you and telling you you're wrong or why are you doing this and this and that. And it's, um, but you just have to be there to reassure them that, Hey, we're doing what we're doing. What we're doing is for the best. And this is the reason why. And I think that's another thing, right? Like having the reasoning behind your decisions is another thing that is like driven into us in the clinical side, uh, in our training. And, you know, I think that's helped me quite a bit in general. Like, you know, I think a lot of people are just like, well, this is just the way it is. And they don't explain why. I think when you have a clinician, like, at least for me, like, I'll be like, hey, this is why we're doing it. And this is the reason why. And I think when people understand the why, they're more likely to be to, um, to buy in. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I really, I really like the way you put that Zane. And then I, maybe you guys have touched on it. But just, you know, from a challenge perspective, right, you know, what is what has been maybe the biggest challenge that you've um, encountered, um, you know, on this kind of, you know, journey? And, um, you know, are there any days that you wake up and you're like, man, I, I wish I just kind of stayed on the clinical path? So maybe I'll start with you, Zane. Um, I think I was the, the thing that I was the most scared of was um, missing the clinical side. I truly did love interacting with my patients. I really did. I mean, I know it sounds really cliche or whatever, but they were the reasons why I did what I did. Right. Um, and that was my biggest fear. And I still miss it. Right. Like there was a, per there, one of my friends had texted me a thing like, Hey, um, can you give me a quick rundown on, um, this disease state and just give me some references. And it took me like five minutes, but that five minutes, like really like got my got my adrenaline going. Like I felt like I was back in the mix of things and I still miss that feeling a little bit. Right. Um, but, and, you know, I didn't leave clinical medicine because I didn't like clinical medicine. I left because I just couldn't see a path within within where I was working, within within the system to change the system. I was like, okay, I can, I have to leave the system to change it. And so I didn't really leave because I hated it. I just left because I wanted to make a better system for people like me and my and the patients. So, um, so that's the thing I probably missed the most. Um, in terms of other things, I mean, I don't know. I really... Like, I mean, I'm, I'm new to my job, but I was consulting prior to this too for a couple of years. I like product management. I like the controlled chaos. Well, sometimes it's not controlled. I just like the chaos. And it, it reminds me of working in an inpatient floor 
and you know orders are flying in people are calling you pages are going off um you know i have like a stack of lists like 10 10 deep and you're just like i'm never going to get through it but you just you just work through it and at the end of the day you feel really accomplished like hey yeah we did something and so and that's one of the reasons why i picked product management because of because of that just chaotic nature of the job and but i'm i'm weird though so I think we're all weird because same, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was gonna say you're not you're not in there, Sarah. So um, you know, similar similar to talk about maybe some of the challenges and um, you know, kind of that clinical transition. Yeah. You know, I feel like for me the hardest thing was making the decision to leave. Like I I I feel like I kind of grappled with it for a decade because I had that like those digital health experiences. So I just like I felt so like such a black sheep in medical school. So like just kind of being, feeling like an, I don't know, an outsider. And then like every day just kind of being like, do I belong here? I like this, but I am also interested in this other thing. Like that was just super hard to deal with. And like to actually, I don't know, execute upon the decision to leave was really tough. And it also like not to go into too much detail on like the emotional part of it, but um, I like, decided to like not pursue um, residency. And then like COVID happened literally two months later and I was in New York. So like my entire community was suffering. So it was just kind of like leaving the community that was super hard for me. And like, I'm, I miss, I definitely miss like thinking through like pathophysiology and I don't know, like similar stuff to what Zane said, but I would say like making the decision and like the time around that was, was quite hard for me. Yeah. I, and I agree with you. And I think that's one of the things that I grappled with too, was I felt like I was leaving my people behind, you know, it was, it's, yeah. I left during a, I'm, I left during a time when there's a lot of people leaving and I just, it took me a while to get used to be okay with it. Um, and it, no one, and I'm not saying anyone said like, oh, you suck or whatever. No one, it was just like an inter, I, would, I had just internalized that on my own. Um, and it's still something I think about, like, you know, like I, I talk to my colleagues and stuff, former colleagues, and yeah. I hear about, you know, what's going on and it, it, and I sometimes think, like, did I make the right choice? Yeah, I, I, I can imagine. I mean, especially now, um, you know, even as more people transition over to, um, you know, over to more on the tech side. But then there's a lot of people that are just kind of burned out and are trying to get mm-hmm. out of it um, there. And that's definitely a uh, challenge, which we've all seen. So um, and then last last little point on this, I'm interested, you know, and we, we didn't sign any NDAs or anything. So whether it's current role or. Um, or future role, just, you know, I'd love for you to share, maybe start with you, Zane, like, you know, kind of describing in some specific details, like what projects, what deliverables that kind of a project manager, um, maybe some of the things and projects you're most excited about being a part of either on the consulting side um, or, or anything else. Because I, I think the challenge for some people is they say, okay, product management, like, what is that, right? Or even if you don't have, you know, some of the startup experience, and you don't get to see behind the curtain, you could be at a big company, um, and not really understand what that, uh, what the, some of those details are. So um, anything ring a bell on that, Zane? Yeah, no, I mean, the interesting about product management is um, every company has their own definition of what a product manager does. Um, and I think that's one of the the things that's hard to describe what a product manager does, right? I, I fell into a really perfect role of, you know, what a product manager should be doing, you know, not project managing, but product managing. Uh, but in terms of like, so the current products that I'm working on, one is a urology product and the other one is an oncology product. Um, and so the goal of the product, and this is going to be really vague, but, you know, we're, I'm trying to create a platform. Well, not me alone, but we as a company are trying to create a platform that not only, you know, we want to increase, not increase, but better patient outcomes and also increase revenue. And those two things can be tied together, right? You can still help people and make money. Uh, so that's kind of the products I'm working on. But in terms of other products that I've been excited about, um, I mean, I don't know if I, I can't really talk about too many of the things because the NDs I've signed, but I'll, I, that's all I really can say. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, no, I fi- I, fi- I, fi- I figured as much. I think that, you know, the key takeaways there, right, is that, um, you know, it's it's being able to lay out some of what you just described as the end result and then kind of working your way backwards from there. Um, what, what about you, Sarah? Um, so I've really enjoyed working on, I've had, like, it's, I actually started in working in provider-facing tools. So, um, and I am working on a provider facing tool as well now. And then I moved into tools that like 
were both providers so more of like an ecosystem that was both provider and patient facing. And I really like working like, you know, as you scale, obviously, like you need to kind of divvy up that work and different product teams are constructed in different ways. But I've had the opportunity to be at smaller companies, um, but like both AliveCore and Story Health, where I've got to kind of define both sides of the experience. So like the provider of the care and what tools they're using, and then the receiver of the care, what tools they're using um, being the patient. So I really enjoyed that. I really enjoy just kind of like thinking about um, like an overall patient journey and all of like those interaction points with the provider. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm happy to kind of run through like what PMs do. I guess it's like super high level. Um, you're kind of responsible for the success of a product. So obviously it can kind of vary, um, depending upon where you are, but you're really responsible for like synthesizing, um, inputs of like feature requests or maybe even coming up with a feature idea yourself, um, defining exactly what that is, working with engineers and designers or folks that are actually like building the tool itself. And then you're responsible for kind of defining how you're going to measure the success of that product. Um, and so it kind of like your interaction with it doesn't really ever end. Um, but that's kind of like what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. And like Zane was saying, like, that's kind of why you don't really ever get bored because you're just doing lots of different stuff all the time <laughs> across that process. And there's Not actually really. really good. Oh, sorry. There's actually a really good book. Um, it's called inspired. I forgot the author's name, but he um, is one of the, the original OGs of product management. Um, he like created teams in eBay and all that stuff and Google and Apple, Microsoft, all of them use his framework for product management. So if anyone's really looking to learn more about it, like, like, uh, that's a great book too. Um, it's to Marty read. Kagan, right? Yes. Marty yeah, Kagan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's good. He's got good stuff. Yeah. And it's super Promo critical, right? Obviously. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. We'll, we'll take 5% of any future sales. Right. Um, no, it, it's, it's, it's super critical because sitting on, you know, somewhat of the same team, right. But, you know, in that facing, right. Being able to have that internal feedback loop, um, you know, talking to customers and you play a balancing act on what is now and then what is to be right. But being able to, you know, work and understand and prioritize it, it's, uh, Sometimes it's a job I do not envy, right? Because I can have all the ideas in the world and I can help, you know, kind of create the feedback loop, right? But uh, making sure all teams are um, assigned because, you know, nothing's, nothing's worse than upon delivery, right? Not being able to deliver, right? That's yeah. the ultimate. Nobody wants to be in that situation, right? But there's a lot of steps that go on before that. And uh, I think the good companies are, are, are usually aligned there. So um, we'll switch in gears a little bit. So from a predictions perspective, um, I'm, I'm interested in, um, you know, in kind of your maybe couple, couple different bullet thoughts on how you see, you know, this role in the ecosystem changing um, here as there's more influx into digital health or, um, you know, some, some, some more companies. So uh, maybe starting with you, Sarah, how do you kind of see uh, the predictions uh, for the next couple of years in, in, in your space, uh, kind of in the project management and seeing more clinical people kind of funneling up? Yeah, no, I mean, I think um, I've already seen that, like, even like a couple of years ago when I was looking for like a clinical product management role, I wasn't really finding it right. Like I kind of had to like find a role and then join a company and say like, look, I'm bringing in this additional clinical expertise. And like, I'd like to be more involved with actually coming up with the protocols and working with clinicians. So I think like that role of like this clinical, like a clinical product management role is becoming, I guess, like more of a thing. Um, and I feel like there's definitely recognition that um, having folks that have both skill sets can be super helpful. That being said, like you could certainly like, you don't need to be a physician to be a product man, be an amazing product manager at a healthcare company. Right. But I think there is like recognition in the industry that we do need to have like very, uh, either have someone like clinical on, on the product team or have very easy access to someone who's clinical if we're building a clinical product, because 
as I was saying before, it can just be really hard to get like that constant user feedback, especially from a really busy clinician or APP um, or nurse. So um, I do think it's like becoming, uh, I guess, just like, I think the industry is just kind of realizing that there's a lot of value in having um, somebody with that expertise on the team. Yeah. Any additional thoughts there, Zane? Yeah. I, I, um, you know, everything you said, Sarah, is absolutely true. And I think that uh, during the pandemic, there was like just money being tossed around for ideas. People are making hundreds of millions of dollars. And I think people thought that healthcare is easy. And why are, why is everyone like complaining? Like, you know, like it's so easy to make it through. And I think after now that there's more scrutiny there, I think more companies are realizing that, hey, we need to cross our T's and dot our I's. And, and I think that they're starting to realize that, hey, clinicians can really bring a lot of value. Like I have, I joke about this. It's kind of said tongue in cheek, but I kind of mean it too. But like, you know, clinicians can save you time, time equals money. So hire a clinician. Right. Um, and I think that, I think a lot of more companies are seeing, seeing the value of clinicians um, as product managers or not even as product managers. It's just part of a, in a decision-making role in your startup or in your tech company, because um, like Sarah said, we bring, you know, you need most, most every company that you're, any sector you're going into, you need industry knowledge, right? You need somebody that understands the industry inside and out. And it seemed like healthcare for some reason, they were like, no, we don't need healthcare people in the companies. And I think now it's starting to switch really rapidly. Like, like you, like Sarah said, like now there's a lot more clinically focused product manager roles or clinically focused just roles in general for healthcare companies than it was maybe just even a year ago. Yeah, and I'm interested. I know, you know, probably not in the product management because there's uh, so much time, energy, effort, but interested in your thoughts or maybe in your peer groups on, you know, kind of that hybrid option, right? Where you still are able to deliver clinical care and also to work on the tech side. Any thoughts there? I know obviously it wasn't your guys' path, but uh, have you yeah. seen some success there? And do you think that that kind of trend will continue? Maybe start with you, Sarah. Yeah, um, I think it's... I definitely think it's possible. I think it depends on what, what your role is. I would say that like, I think it's really hard to be, <clears throat> I don't know, like part-time CPO and practicing medicine. Cause like product, I would say like, like being a clinician, it requires like a lot of reps, a lot of pattern recognition, shipping a lot of products, failing a, a lot of times. And so like, if you don't, you haven't spent the years doing that. Um, I think it's really hard to be like a full-time product person and also a clinical person. That being said, they're obviously the unicorns out there, but I definitely see like a lot of clinicians that are like founders and like still do shift work, still like pick up a shift every now and then. I definitely see like, I don't know, I think a lot of people live by the, like, you can have everything, but not all at once um, motto where like, they practice clinical medicine. They did neurosurgery residency. God bless them. Um, and then, you know, they decided to start a company. Um, but I think like doing both of them full on at the same time, there are certainly those people, but it's, it's just really hard. Yeah. I don't know, Zane, what your thoughts are on that. 100% agree. I was going to say those are two full-time jobs and you only have so many hours in the day. Um, and both are stressful in their own different way. Right. Um, so I don't think I don't, well, I don't think I could ever do it. Right. Um, and, I, and like you said, there are unicorns out there. They're just like highly functioning individuals. I do not fall under that category, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's really, it would be really hard. I think that if you want if, if there was a clinician that wanted to dip their toes in, I think advisory roles are a great way to kind of go in because as an advisor, you kind of get like a bird's eye view of everything and you still have some pull because people you're as an advisor, they're asking you questions. So that's a great way to kind of step in and see if you like it. You don't have to go like full in, but I think that would be the best way to step in and try to do both, but to try to do product management and clin your clinical schedule, it would be, for me, it would be impossible, honestly. Yeah. I think it really, again, though, I think it depends on the role. Cause like for sure they're like chief medical officer. I'm sure like we've all worked with them, right? Like they're kind of overseeing like the clinical protocols, the safety, signing off on stuff. Maybe like they are, they have a bunch of clinicians that report to them and they practice. Like, I think, you know, that can be very work very well. So it just, it really depends on, on what the role is. 
Um, and I also have like a lot of, like one of my closest friends, like does a lot of, like she gets, she works at the hospital, gets her bought, her time um, bought out to do research. So like she's doing a lot of research, like kind of like population data analytics um, research, looking into like EMR data. So for sure you can like live the hybrid life, just depends on what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I like I like both. I like both those. And yeah, I've been fortunate enough to, you know, through my time to work alongside some of those clinicians, right? And, you know, obviously sometimes um, you know, and and it's perfectly fine. We could say the same thing, right? And uh the 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 MD in front of their name, they listen. But you know, it, it I think a lot of it has to do with from a credibility perspective, it's um, you know, it is super critical, right? Because I, you know, <clears throat> want to help uh, I kind of a lot of times and other salespeople using the sports cliche are the quarterback, right? So, um, you know, bringing those people, whether it's clinical, technical, inside in the conversation mm -hmm. and out the conversation and bringing the product. But I've uh, been super, it, it has been an interesting, you know, eye opening. Obviously, when you work with more provider practice groups, there's maybe less of a need, right? Um, but as you kind of get into health systems and more complex buying processes, uh, having that um, both on the technical side, but also the clinical side. So I've been fortunate to work with some of those. And um, yeah, certainly not enough time that it, it would kind of be like saying having a full-time job and then deciding to start a podcast right um you know with not, <laughs> not, not not a lot of hours in the day <laughs> who would do that um yeah. all right last couple segments uh so kind of rookie healthcare leader advice i'm really interested here as you kind of guys see the landscape if you had to um to look into where things are going um and, and maybe just touch on if you have people maybe listening to this either in med school in residency thinking about some of that journey uh what would be kind of your your advice to them as you, as you look forward and are in the industry uh start with you zane to get into like tech yeah just in general right yeah just kind of if, if they were thinking about that transition to tech um or you know what you would kind of maybe see uh, on the horizon I mean, I tell students, regardless of when, even before I got in tech, was try everything, reach out. I mean, I wish I would have networked earlier when I was a student because I think I tell students this now. You guys have a superpower um, because you're students, and we all were students. And when a student when a student DMs me, I reply back right away. Not that I don't reply back to other DMs, but you see that you see yourself in them, and you want to help. And so if you're a student out there, reach out to people, reach out to see sweet people. It doesn't really matter. Just reach out to people and intake as much information as you can about as many different things as possible. Like, for example, for me, I didn't like oncology in a, as a student. I forced myself to take two oncology rotations because I wanted a residency and I loved oncology and I ended up being in oncology, in, in oncology for my whole career. So that would be one, one thing. It's just put yourself out there, network, figure out what you don't have to figure out what you want to do, but just try to take in as many things as possible so that when you do have to figure it out, you have something to base your decision off of. And you're not just like doing it because it's the hip new thing or whatever. You have something to base your decision off of. Yeah. Like yeah, anything I mean, to add, Sarah? I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, I, that's kind of the approach that I took. I think like people are so willing to kind of, you know, provide a perspective mentor. Um, I would also say like going, like Josh, you asked me about how did I kind of construct my medical school experience? I would push um, students to like be creative about your experience. Like even if it's not like listed as an elective on like your course schedule, reach out, you know, like see if you can do an internship with a startup. And, you know, like all of these startups are so hungry, even for like a student's perspective, who's you know, spent time, um, in the medical world. So I think like having those like real practical experiences working with companies, even if it's just a couple hours a week, um, I would be surprised if like, they don't reach back out to the student. Cause, um, I think sometimes students just think like, I'm just a student, like no one's going to want my perspective, but very much not true. Um, and then like, I think that another piece of advice I'd give folks is, I think a lot of people get to the point where they've had these experiences and like, they're trying to make a decision and they're like, and I was one of these people and I was like calling people, you know, who I wanted to be in 10 years that were like chief medical officers living this hybrid life. And I think like, it's great to have those conversations, but I would also just warn people like, like any type of advice, everybody's always going to be speaking from the decision they made. And they're going to be like giving you advice that's kind of biased. So I don't know. I would just tell people to like trust themselves, you know, like 
make a decision based on what you want to do and take in inputs, but don't um, be driven by like the advice that others give you. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I think that, and that's why you should talk to as many people as possible. And and don't be afraid to ask people for help. And I think that's one thing just in med in, in medicine, we are really bad at. It's okay to ask for help. You're not gonna get to wherever you got to by yourself as much as we like to think we do. We have a everyone in medicine has a hero complex. We want to be the hero. Um, and we don't think we need to be saved. Uh, so ask for help, ask for mentors. Even if you don't if if you're you know, just just and then like, you know, like for one thing I did also like I'm really I'm really bad at asking for people for help or asking for mentors, just like just look at people you idolize or like look up to and just kind of follow their path. You don't have to like follow it exactly, but just think, see like, how did they get to where they got to? You not, not always do you have to talk to somebody. You can just be like, Oh, they got, they did this, they did that. They did this. And there's so much content out there. A lot of these big people have like, they've been on podcasts. They've wrote a bunch of articles. Just consume, uh, just consume as much data as possible. And that way you can make a, a good decision. Yeah. And Zane, I think the power of asking, right? I mean, you and I talked about it, obviously, in my sales prism, you know, a lot of people try to reinvent the wheel. And um, I have the conversation. I'm like, hey, you know, why don't you just ask for a referral, right? Like, why don't you just talk to a physician, a practice, a group that you just use and say, hey, do you guys know anybody else that have challenged this, challenged that, right? And, um, you know, it served me, served me well. And I'm sure exactly like you just described. And I know we're not going to be able to change it on this podcast, but I'm interested in um, if, if there's been any kind of updates or just from a actual like you know, med school or pharmacy school do you feel like there needs to be some updates in kind of you know curriculum and um, preparing for that um, maybe a whole nother you know podcast topic but just interested when you guys came and now you you know kind of see some other people coming through do you think that there has been some changes or there's going to be some change kind of in the core academia side of things um how much time do we have <laughs> Um, okay. I'm going to start, I'm going to start this in a, in, in, in a short, in a, in a short, concise, you know, way we'll, 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 we'll tease it. We'll tease it for part two. Right. Yeah. This could be a whole episode on its own. Yeah. Um, pretend I you're writing this, a ticket. Yeah. I will start this by saying I might, I am a little jaded, but I do think that schools do not do a good job of really highlighting what opportunities exist outside of just one or two things. Like for example, in pharmacy school, you're either going to clinical medicine or retail. That's it. And, you know, even industry is not even now more so it's being talked about, but it was just like those two options existed. If I knew back then, like I could go into tech, tech was an option. Like I said, I didn't think that it was even an option until I tried to figure out something on my own. So I think schools do, there needs to be a huge overhaul in the way schools do things. Cause there's a lot of different, there's a lot of great talent in, in these schools that is, I don't, I don't want to use the word wasted because I don't think it is being wasted, but it could be directed in a better way to help society. And that's one thing that I learned throughout my journey is you don't own, you can help people, not just, be, not just by being a clinician and like talking face to face, you can help people in a lot of different ways. And I think that really needs to be highlighted more in our um, curriculums and the way we're taught. Um, I mean, it's interesting. I think like it depends on the school. I will say that like, I was very fortunate to be somewhere like NYU where there was definitely like room for improvement, but there was a whole, there was an Institute for innovations in medical education. And one of my mentors was the director of it. And like, we did like research together on how do you use, like we were saying, like how do you use mixed reality to improve um, surgical training and anatomy training. So like there are schools that are slowly introducing change. That being said, it's a pretty like traditional um, system. So I think that there is definitely room for improvement there. Um, and I also think like, there are a lot of people who kind of like know that they want a career in healthcare technology, but like may not want to practice medicine. And I think that we've seen some programs bubble up, but I think like there is definitely appetite for a new type of training where you get some exposure to the bedside, but like you're not taking the spot of someone who actually wants to de like deliver care. Um, so I think that like, I don't know what that is yet. If that's like a new graduate program, some like product, clinical product certification or something, but um, I could definitely see um, that being like a pretty useful um, higher education for someone to pursue. 
Yeah, it, it certainly will be uh, interesting, interesting to follow, and I'm sure that there will have to be some change that 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 or you know, ChatGPT will just you know take us all. Right. Um, so final, <laughs> exactly. um, yeah, if, final segment here. So we spent a lot of time. I appreciate you guys, you guys' insight. Um, so start with you, Zane. Anything that you want to plug, just on a personal or professional level, um, and this is the time, you know, in, in true sales fashion, this is the time to promote, um, you know, things you got going. Yeah, my cash app. I, no, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, no, I have a newsletter and podcast called Digital Thoughts. Um, just sensei.substack.com. You can find both of those. Um, I just, um, I try not to rant too much, uh, but it's basically just bringing the clinician's voice into the health tech. And then on the podcast, I have awesome people like Josh um, on there talking about their experience in the health tech. And I like to bring a whole a, a lot of different experiences, not just clinicians, but all they'll, they'll get a 360 view of health tech and talk to people that are doing awesome things. Um, and also it's, it's good for, I think it's also good for people to hear that there is, there are people actively trying to help. And that was one thing like during my three years journey of trying to get into health tech, like talking to people like you, Josh and others and seeing like, there are a lot of people trying to help. It's just a matter of us connecting to each other. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do with um, my platform. Love it. Love it. And it's definitely worth listening. We'll make sure everybody has all the show, the show notes and things like that. So, so what about you, Sarah? Any final words on um, anything else you, you would want to plug? Yeah. Um, I would just say like, I'm always open to kind of mentoring and helping, especially helping like clinicians that are trying to transition into tech. So I'm sure Josh, you can share like my LinkedIn or contact with folks in the notes. Um, but just want to say like, I'm open to kind of helping support people through that transition. So you know, you can feel free to reach out to me. Um, but yeah, no podcast yet for me. <laughs> and likewise, yeah, uh, well, if anyone yeah, if anyone wants to reach out, uh, feel free to reach out to me. I love talking and connecting with people. Um, and I can honestly say hundreds of people helped me. So I am yeah. more than happy to, um, you know, pay it forward. Yep. Same. I mean, I will be paying it forward till the end of time. So yeah, shout out to my mentors. Thanks guys. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And definitely, definitely check out Story Health is doing some fantastic things um, in the digital health space too. I know you guys, um, it seems like anytime I open it up, uh, there's some uh, cool partnerships or some cool yeah. collaboration going on. So it's been uh, great to, uh, great, great to follow. Yeah, absolutely. Like we're expanding in specialty care. So um, please reach out if you're interested in collaborating. Yeah. So Zane, Sarah, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Um, we'll have to have you guys back, uh, you know, for, 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 for part two, uh, sometime soon, but, um, thanks again. Yeah. No, awesome. let me know when. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for listening to another episode of the podcast. Special thanks to Zane and Sarah for joining me as guest. Make sure to subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you get podcasts and stay tuned coming later this week. We continue the conversation about clinician transitioning over to technology, and we have a couple guests join us that have detailed backgrounds around venture capital, digital health, and clinicians. Thanks.